This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Zneimer. Coming up... We use the web to look up everything from recipes to news and health, but a new study out of Toronto's Sunnybrook Health Sciences found that Googling the side effects of drugs can actually trigger those symptoms. And Toronto just witnessed an outpouring of kindness following last week's horrific van attack. Empathy and kindness are explored in a new book by veteran emergency room doctor Brian Goldman after a patient's family called him out. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Home blood pressure machines can sometimes give false high or low readings. For that reason, Hypertension Canada has posted on its website the correct way to get an accurate reading at home. So, be seated with an empty bladder, legs uncrossed, feet flat on the floor the middle of the cuff at heart level, and be silent and still for five minutes before and during the measurement. More than 15 million Canadians are living with or at risk for hypertension, which, left untreated, can lead to heart disease, stroke, kidney failure, and dementia. Who better to promote Zoomer issues in an election than a 96-year-old? Florence Kirby of Britain is running for a seat on her city council in Newcastle this week, and it's believed she's the oldest candidate to ever run. Florence feels her community needs representation from an older person to, quote, bridge the age gap. The one thing that the elderly do have that is not always apparent in others is you've learned to be reasonably patient. A 94-year-old former Nazi death camp squad member is appealing for the right to stay in Canada. Helmut Oberlander of Waterloo was stripped of his Canadian citizenship, but appeared in court this week to appeal the ruling for the fourth time. The retired real estate developer failed to inform Canadian immigration of his past when he moved to the country in 1954 and again when he applied for citizenship six years later. His lawyer argues that he was simply a 17-year-old interpreter charged with mundane tasks. He is too frail to appear in court. Amazon employees went on a cross-country bus tour to learn about aging Americans. A top executive at the tech giant has long been interested in designing technologies for the growing aging population. During the tour, Babic Parvis and her group met with seniors, doctors and leaders in the area of aging and included visits to residential-style homes that offer an alternative to traditional nursing homes. Parvis now leads a top-secret team called Amazon X and the Projects and Mission are under wraps. Like so many soldiers returning from war, 96-year-old Bob Barger of Ohio came home and began working to raise a family. 
Finishing school was no longer a priority. The World War II pilot found out that he'll graduate from the University of Toledo this week after a review of his transcripts showed that he had completed enough classes to do that in the late 40s. Now, 69 years later, he says he'll be proud to hang the diploma on the wall in the assisted living center where he lives and where his friends are planning a big graduation party. I'm Libby Zneimer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. The placebo effect is well known. You take a sugar pill, and if you think it will make you feel better, it will. But the nocebo effect is the opposite. And a new study out of Toronto's Sunnybrook Health Sciences found that searching the Internet on prescription drugs can trigger side effects, not the medication itself. The study involved statins, drugs that lower cholesterol, and Dr. Beju Shah is the lead author. We used data from this previously published study from a couple of years ago where they looked at 13 different countries around the world and determined the rate of people stopping medications, statins, because of intolerance in those 13 different countries. And then we correlated those data with our own data that we generated to look at the proportion of websites about statins that talk about side effects of statins when you use Google in these different countries. So we used a VPN to pretend we were searching Google in Tokyo or in Stockholm or in Rio and look to see what proportion of them in the native language found websites about side effects. So the nocebo effect, I like to think of it as kind of a a reverse to the placebo effect, which is a little more well-known. The idea of the placebo effect is that you take a pill that you think is beneficial, even though it doesn't have any active ingredient and you feel better. The nocebo effect is the other way around, where you're taking a medication that probably does have some benefits for you, but because you have these preconceived notions about side effects or negative things that are going to happen when you take this medication, you're more likely to experience those negative things. And what did you find in your study? We started with a previous study that had been done by some international researchers a couple of years ago that showed that the rates of side effects from statins, which are a major cholesterol-lowering medication, were very different in different places around the world. And we noticed that it was really English-speaking countries that seemed to have the highest rates of these side effects. And we couldn't really think about, you know, a biological reason why somebody in England or Australia would have higher rates than somebody in France or Sweden. The internet may well reflect the cultural differences, too, between Britain and sort of former British colonies like Canada, the U.S. and Australia, and other countries that we looked at in Europe and Asia and elsewhere, where maybe there is a greater tendency to be thinking about side effects more or to be, to be more aware of them. What we did was we looked at countries where Google searches in that country, in that country's native language, would find more websites about side effects were also countries that had higher rates of side effects. You know, when your pharmacist or your doctor is talking about side effects, they're talking about it in sort of a, the context of what the evidence shows and how often it's going to occur and how, how uncommon it is. But then when you go online, you may be reading people's anecdotal experiences that may be much more dramatic or may make it seem much more severe or more common than what the science would say really should be the case. The patients generally who are taking these medications are in sort of the demographics and the age group where muscle aches and pains are, are, you know, not necessarily uncommon. And so we have to make sure patients are not 
ascribing symptoms that they may well have been having all along, but now are just more aware of them. It's a good idea to get whatever information you can about your disease and your medications, but to get it from a credible, reliable source. And in the era of fake news, this is even more important that we need to really be, be skeptical and careful about what we're reading online and what sources we're going to to find out information online. Was there anything in this study that really surprised you? I think what was surprising to me was really the the tremendous difference culturally or nationally in the information about side effects online. That like I, again, because I, you know I speak English and I live in an English speaking country, just that's the only frame of reference that I've had. And so to look and see in places like Germany and Sweden and Italy and Spain and to say nothing of other places like Poland or Japan, where there just weren't a lot of websites that were talking about these side effects. They just wasn't a big part of the culture, and that was a surprise to me. So, I mean, I think it's important to recognize that statins are very well established in patients who are at high risk of heart disease, that statins are incredibly important in lowering the risk of heart disease, of stroke, of mortality, and they're very effective. And if patients are not able to tolerate the stats because of side effects, then they're not able to get those benefits. So there may be substantial numbers of people in English-speaking countries who are missing out on those potential benefits and are not having those mortality reductions that they should have because of this, um, this intolerance that, that's developing um, that may, may not have developed if they hadn't read about them in the first place. Okay. Dr. Beju Shah, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. That was endocrinologist Dr. Beju Shah of Toronto's Health Sciences Centre. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, the power of kindness. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. He's a well-known veteran emergency room doctor and a physician journalist whose work takes us behind the curtain in the world of medicine. But when a patient's family told Dr. Brian Goldman that he was unkind, it set him off on a quest. He searched for his own lost compassion and went looking for the most empathic people alive. He dropped by our studios to talk about his new book, The Power of Kindness. I was told by the husband of a patient I saw in the emergency department that I wasn't kind. And, you know, when patients and their families tell you you're incompetent, there's a possibility that they're wrong. Um, there's, there's a lot of opinions about that. But if they tell you you're not kind, they know what they're talking about because everybody knows kindness. And I thought I might have a little bit of a, bit of a nasty streak. And so I wanted to find out more about empathy and kindness. I knew it was important. And uh, that became my journey to kind of go around the world and meet the kindest people that I could find on the planet and find out what makes them kind. You know, nature, nurture, is it something they, they inherited or did it come to them by circumstances? And along the way, I had my brain scanned and I had my personality assessed because I wanted to see if I had, if, if I still had what it takes to be kind. Okay, so you start on this journey and the first thing you did, you you did a functional MRI, I guess, to see if uh, you're hardwired for being kind. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I still, I still have the wiring, but a very interesting thing. This was part of an experiment in which I was asked to have this MRI of my brain, and while the scan was being taken, 
I was looking at a monitor, a computer monitor on the ceiling, uh, showing me in rapid sequence patients in pain with various facial expressions. And I had like a few seconds to rate the pain level on a scale of zero to 10 using a joystick. And it turns out that while I have the equipment, I'm very much like a lot of seasoned veterans of of medicine where in about mid-career, they start to underestimate the pain that their patients are suffering from. And I did the same thing. Burnout makes you unable to uh, empathize, which means to, to use your imagination to put yourself in the place of somebody else and act accordingly. In that case, in healthcare, it would be the patients and families, but it's also fellow you know, allied health professionals, nurses, uh, social workers, pharmacists. Uh, if you lose that ability, um, and I think a lot of people in healthcare do for a whole bunch of ref- different reasons, well, patients suffer and they suffer. If you want people to, to say interesting things to you, you have to be persuasive, but at the same time, it would be nice if you could imagine what it's like to be that person revealing these very deep and personal secrets and what kind of risk they could be putting to themselves. And, and for me, what I've discovered is that, yes, I have that Machiavellian tendency, but I also have a deep abiding sense of shame. Whenever I make mistakes or I get called out on things that I've done that aren't particularly nice, I wouldn't have written a book if I didn't feel that way. But so the way I see it, uh, shame for the mistakes I make or for the people I've hurt kind of acts as a break on my worst Machiavellian tendencies. I think you said that there was less empathy or people scored lower on these tests since the turn of the century. Why is that? Probably because of uh, social media. I think we're being bombarded with a sense of danger. I think that that our world is more fast-paced than it used to be. And when we do everything at speed, when we're in a hurry to go from place to place, it's hard to be in the moment to center yourself. You went to find (laughs) kind people. How did you pick them and uh, what sort of sticks out in your mind. So um, I had, uh, I'm going to first of all give credit to, to two wonderful colleagues I worked with, Karen Chekalak and Aaron James Abra. And so between the three of us, we found some, some really interesting people. So for example, there's a bar inside Ground Zero in New York City called O'Hara's, O'Hara's Bar and Grill. It was once a bar that catered to people who uh, would be familiar to the Wolf of Wall Street. But then 9-11 happened and uh, the bar was nearly, you know, the structure wasn't destroyed, but, but it was, you know, within a couple of blocks, a half a block of, of Ground Zero. And uh, they could have closed the bar. Instead, they reopened it about six months after 9-11, and it became a shrine to first responders. And right now, if you go there, and I went there, there's 7,000, maybe seven or 8,000 crests of first responders who were there or who knew somebody who was there, or just people who come in to say, this is our home. And I met a man named Paul Macon, call him the kindest bartender in the kindest bar in the world. And this guy does some amazing things. Uh, he, He can read the mood of 20 or 25 customers at a time. He knows who wants to meet new people, who wants to be left alone. He knows how to rearrange people so that they, so that the right people are sitting next to the right people. He knows uh, when to cut somebody off, he knows when to serve another drink and make sure they get home in a taxi or drive them home himself. He's an amazing guy. W- what did you learn from all this? I learned that for some people, empathy comes easily. It's inherited to some extent, and we know that there's evidence that there is. But for most of us, great kindness and empathy often comes from a place of darkness, loneliness, disappointment, frustration, disability, mistakes, things that you regret. And if you harness those, 
at least face them, you will be at the very least a great resource to somebody who's going through the same thing. You may be the only person for miles or kilometers around who can empathize with them. And, and I think a lot of us run away from our demons, but I think sometimes if you embrace them, there is good that can come from it. But I, I certainly believe that we are all hardwired to be kind and empathic. That's why we're able to build societies and try to make the world a better place. We don't always succeed. Okay. Dr. Brian Goldman, thanks so much. My pleasure. That was Dr. Brian Goldman. His new book is called The Power of Kindness, Why Empathy is Essential in Everyday Life. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, an old-time rock and roller is celebrating a birthday. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's time for your international art state book tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. The internationally renowned 71st Annual Cannes Film Festival opens on Tuesday and runs until May 19th. Underway in Chicago, a five-week celebration of international plays as the International Voices Project brings stage productions from Quebec, Europe, and Asia to the Windy City. Now on stage on Broadway, award-winning actor Denzel Washington in a revival of Eugene O'Neill's classic The Iceman Cometh. It's on through July 1st. And at the Fresh Library on the Mediterranean island of Corsica, they've recently discovered forgotten letters signed by Napoleon and a book about the famous Parisian Tower signed by Gustave Eiffel. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Date Book. Rock and roller Bob Seger turns 73 today. Born in Detroit, Robert Clark Seeger is known for his raspy shouting voice and mega hits like Night Moves, We've Got Tonight, and Like a Rock. His career has spanned over six decades and he sold over 100 million records worldwide. Seeger was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2004 and the Songwriters Hall of Fame in 2012. Let's hear his biggest hit, That's been called the Song of the Century by the Recording Industry Association of America. Old-time rock and roll. That was Bob Seger with Old Time Rock and Roll. He's celebrating his 73rd birthday today. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Snymer. Produced by Christine Ross, Michelle Saunders, Paul Thomas, and Andre Lowy. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.